Acts chapter 9 and verse number 1. Acts 9 verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul rose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand, and brought him to Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did he eat nor drink. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray you help us. Lord, in a world that is, seems to be hopeless, there is hope in you. And Lord, for this Pharisee, this Saul, appeared to be no hope, but there was hope. And the hope is you. And Lord, I pray this morning that our hearts will be open to knowing that you are our hope. Lord, that we accept you as Lord and Savior. I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Our text is all about Saul. Saul of Tarsus. We would later know him better as Paul as you go through the book of Acts and throughout the Bible. And he was mightily used by God to spread the gospel. Uh, God used Paul to start churches all over that known world. You really think of the Mediterranean, the north side of the Mediterranean? He was there working, laboring. He traveled thousands of miles long before it was convenient or comfortable. All right, He traveled a lot to preach the Gospel. Uh, he was beaten and shipwrecked. Actually, I'm going to read for you 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. It talks about some things that he went through. Are, are, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israel, Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was thrown a stone. Thrice uh, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I had been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Do you think he faced some perils? Yeah, he went through some things uh, to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. He stayed faithful. You understand that if you read much of the New Testament, you are affected by Paul. Now, I understand that Paul uh, did not come up with the words. He was inspired by God, but he was faithful to write out the words. And if you read uh, any amount of the New Testament, you've been blessed by his ministry. He wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament, at least. He was dependent to it. However... Paul, Saul, before he met the Lord, it was Saul, he wasn't always a Christian. 
Saul was a zealous Jew before coming to Christ as Savior. Before he met the Lord, he hated the name of Jesus Christ. He hated what the church was preaching. He couldn't stand it. He was a murderer. He killed people who believed in Jesus. He was a lost man and he was heading to a Christless eternity. He, I, I, this is a great question as I was putting this message together. I wonder how many people in the early church believed that Saul of Tarsus could ever be saved. Hey, listen. When they heard the name of Saul of Tarsus, the early church, they ran. Because he was coming with a hammer. He was coming to destroy. He was coming to tear down. I wonder if any of the Christians actually took time to pray for Saul. And say, Lord, help him to see the light. Help him to understand he needs you. Now, I think if I was in the early church, I would probably look at Saul and say, he's a hopeless case. He has resigned himself to his fate. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't know, it'd be hard to think that there would be too many people in that early church that would love to see Paul get, Saul get saved. Hey, let's just think about how what he had done to the church. He had scattered it. He, he had killed people who believed in Christ. I suspect most of the people in that early church saw Paul as a hopeless case. He was hopeless. And if anything, they didn't see him as a man who needed to come to Christ. They feared that man because of what he represented. Now a man to be loved and reached with the Gospel. I think those early believers probably would have given up on Paul long before this happened and said he'll never be saved. He'll never be saved. Listen, this story is a wonderful testimony of God's grace. Amen? It's a wonderful testimony. You can think you are so far from God that you can, he never could use you, reach out to you. Hey, listen, God reached out and got Paul, Saul. Okay? You are not unreachable for Jesus Christ. Alright, and for us, as individual believers, people have accepted Christ as Savior, and we desire that other people will have that same faith. Sometimes, we see people that we've tried to reach and we look at them as hopeless cases. There, we, maybe there's a loved one we've been praying for, a friend, a co-worker, and you have hoped, you have prayed, you have hoped, you have prayed, you've told them about Jesus, you've invited them out to the Christmas program and the Easter program that's coming up, whatever the case is, you've invited them to special events in your life, and you try to and tell them about Jesus Christ, it feels like it's fallen on the hard, hard soil. It feels like it fell on rocks, not even on soil. I know some people in our church today who've been praying for people just like that. And they've been praying for people like that for a long time. It wasn't last week it started. It's, it's been years. You may have come to believe that there are hard cases for whom there is no hope. You know, growing up in Newfoundland, the, 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 the term hard cases, we would use that all the time. You know, someone was bad at school. Man, that feller is a hard case. He's just not a good feller. I'm, I'm using Newfoundland slang on you now, right? So, Alright, so that, we would just use that term all the time. And listen, there's people that you're trying to reach for Jesus. You're trying to encourage them to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And they just don't seem to want to take it. They're, in your mind, they're just they're hard. They're, they're, they seem hopeless. And maybe you've been tempted to stop praying. Maybe you're just like, you know, it doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're not, 
They don't see it. There's nothing seems to be working, Pastor. It just seems to be bouncing off them, and uh, there doesn't seem to be getting any hope or uh, reaching their hearts. And maybe you've come to a place as an individual believer, you're discouraged and you're doubting whether they could ever get saved. If you're there, this is a story of hope for you too. Oh, hopeless case? No. There's. Hey, you can still reach them for Jesus. Don't stop. This story reminds us that God loves sinners. You know, this morning, as we were walking up here with the choir, uh, downstairs in the fellowship hall, some kids had put up some papers and things. I guess it's kids. It looks like kids coloring anyway. And uh, on it, it says, the God of all creation loves you. Something along that line. The God of all creation loves you. That's amazing, folks. Hey, isn't this morning it was so good to get up and not my face didn't hurt when I opened the door? You know, there was no white stuff falling from the sky. Hell, and that spring air is the best air. You know, that you could just almost can smell those flowers again. You know, I'm just like if I had a memory bank for that, I wish I could just to smell it every once in a while in the dead of winter. Just smell that spring air. And just to see the beauty of the sunrise, and I've seen some wonderful scenery in Canada, been to Vancouver and seen the mountains and the East Coast, uh, living out there is a wonderful, the creation's amazing. The God of that creation loves you. He loves all men, and hey, if that shouldn't give you hope, I don't know what will. Alright, He loves you, and He loves that person you're trying to reach for Jesus. Reminds us that the God of the Bible is a God of grace, love, and mercy, and anyone can come to Him by faith. It's not by position. It's not by influence. It's not by family name. It's by faith. And it reminds us that even when we think nothing is happening in that precious person's life that we love, we care for, and we're trying to reach out to, God is working in their hearts. The unseen work. So first of all, the problem of Saul's life. Like everybody else who has ever lived, Saul of Tarshish had some really really big problems in his life. These combined to make him appear to be hopeless, hopelessly lost in the eyes of those in the early church. The first thing we see about Saul is that he was, Saul was self-righteous. He was self-righteous. A very self-righteous individual. Don't we just love being around self-righteous individuals? And the answer is no, we do not. All right, we, you know, the idea is that they think they got it all together, and you I mean, it, it, I gotta be honest, it drives me bananas. Like you can't get it all together; it's not possible. You know, but the reality is self-righteous. In Philippians chapter three, verse four, this is what he writes: uh, Paul, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath wherein. Be, uh, he might trust in the flesh. I more. So he's saying, I trusted myself more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of the Pharisee, concerning seal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. Acts 26.5 says, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of religion, I lived a Pharisee. In these verses, Saul tells us the reasons why he had to be confident in his religion. Saul lived a clean life in his eyes. As as far as the law of God was in his eyes, he was making it. That word blameless in in, uh, uh, Philippians 3.6 
means free from fault or defect. Talk about being self-righteous, folks. I am blameless. I have done nothing wrong. And now I, I think Saul Tarsus was saying that, hey, I have done my best. I have done my best. I like the law. He might even love the law. I, I studied the law. I obeyed the law. I lived the law. The problem with Saul's relationship was the law, with the law was the fact that he was trusting the obedience of the law to save his soul. Saul believed by keeping the law, he would buy favor with God and then God would have to accept him because he's been so good, so he would earn it. God would grant him salvation because he earned it. <coughs> now, it's true as individual parents and as leaders or maybe as a teacher who are instructing people, those kids who are good in class, they do earn some things, don't they? It happens. I mean, our kids are good at home. Uh, you know, sometimes you might say, uh, okay, if you do your chores and things, uh, you'll do this, and they do it with a good attitude. And you're like, you know what? That was a, that was good. I, I'm going to give you an ice cream bar. Well, it's a pretty exciting moment, right, at the house when that happens. You know, woohoo! You know, uh, it's exciting times. But the reality is, you can't earn salvation, folks. It's different than being, being good at home with your mom and dad. Right? It's not the same. This thinking that Saul had is dead wrong. And if you're here this morning and you think your religion is going to save you, I'm going to show you some verses that shows it's dead wrong. It's the wrong thinking. There's a lot of people in the world who think that way. A lot of religions today, that's the system of belief that they promote. They say this is what you have to do. The truth is, no one is saved by religious works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Doesn't, our, doesn't the Father know exactly what His creation is like? Because if we could earn it, we would get to heaven and I would look over at Joe and say, well, I got here better than you did. Right? Because we boast. Uh, our human nature, we boast. And if we did it on our own, we would be boasting in heaven. What a horrible place heaven would be. Everyone boasting. No one is saved by keeping the law. So you don't get there by religious works. No one's saved by keeping the law. Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for, the, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law tells us we're wrong. Hey, the Peel Regional Police Officer told me that I was wrong a couple times. You know, and I had to pay the penalty. The reality is the law just shows us what's wrong. It doesn't save us, folks. I can't say that police officer, well, the law saved me. He'd be like, what are you talking about, boy? You've got to pay the ticket. Uh, get to the courthouse. Plead guilty or whatever the case. You know, the reality is the law, won't, it shows us where we're wrong, but it won't save us. And no one saved by good deeds, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Anyone who's basing their salvation or their hope of salvation or the hope of heaven on doing good or trying to keep the law of God perfectly, I'm sorry, you have been deceived. Actually, I'm not sorry. I'm glad I can tell you the truth. You've been deceived. 
And you need to understand what God's Word says. So no one can keep the law. James 2.10 For whosoever shall, keep, uh, whosoever shall keep the whole law, you offend one point, he is guilty of all. No matter how hard we try, we will always be guilty. We will always fall short of God's perfect standard. I've met some guys like, yeah, well, yeah, we're pretty good, Pastor. Yeah, yeah, we're, we got it all together. I said, God, where's your mom? I'm like, well, my mom. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure your mom will tell me you did something wrong sometime. And they start, oh, yeah, you're funny, Pastor. Hey, we all sin. There's no one here who has not. And you tell me, I don't believe you. Because the Word of God says it. We all have sinned. None of us can meet what God has laid out as the perfect standard. We are, we were born that way. We are born sinners. Uh, a good friend of mine, Pastor Waski, just had his little baby boy a couple days ago. His name's Billy. And I've been ta- texting Pastor uh, Waski, encouraging him. He's 41 and he's, this is the very first baby. I'm like, buddy, you're in for a world of hurt like you don't know. That's not really encouraging, but he's a friend, okay? But at any rate, uh, so I've been talking to him and he's talking about how he, you know, Billy cries or he's doing this or whatever. It, it won't be long before Pastor Matt's going to, or his name's Matt, Pastor Matt's going to tell him, Billy is horrible. I love that boy, but he's horrible. It's going to happen. Happy's we're all born that way. We all have that sin nature. Keeping the law does not change the fact that everyone who enters this world is, is, is a sinner by birth and is condemned because we are that way. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our world is filled with self-righteous individuals. If you're one of them and you're trying to please God and get to heaven by your good works and obedience to a list of rules, you need to know what Jesus Christ said. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's a whole lot of churches out there and denominations and religions saying you can get to God any which way you please. Listen, there's only one way. And it's through Jesus. And it's not because Mark Alcock says it. I'm not, I'm not trying to create my own religion. No, I'm telling you what the Word of God says. That's what the Bible says. Saul's sinfulness. So we see his self-righteousness. We see his sinfulness. Saul Tarsus would have said that he was holy. He was a righteous man. Hey, he was a lost sinner who needed a Savior. He didn't realize it, but he was guilty of breaking a number of God's own laws. You know, he, he was violating the Sixth Commandment that said, Thou shalt not kill. He was killing people. You know, I don't know if he actually used the knife himself or whatever the case was. I don't know how the persecution was taking place at that time. I don't know if he actually did it, but he was commanding it. He was an authority and he was, in, he was responsible for it. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. He was breaking that commandment too. He thought he was right with God. He believed his self-righteousness was good. He was an outward obedience to the law. That this would please God, it would save his soul. He was wrong, and he was wrong. He didn't take into account that the outward obedience to Allah did nothing to erase the sin that was in his heart. No matter how hard he worked, no matter how much good he did, no matter how many rules he kept, he was a lost individual who needed the Savior. Saul's problem is a problem that is shared by 
A lot of people in the world, whether they realize it or not. We're sinners who need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. Uh, we can never be good enough to please God. We can never earn His favor. The only hope, I love that word hope. The only hope is Jesus. Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The only way our sins can be forgiven, uh, the only way that we can be saved in the sense of being secure in Jesus Christ is to believe the Gospel. To believe on Him. To accept Him by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the, that's the Word of God. That's what it tells us. When we do, we will be saved. Our sins will be forgiven. And we'll be made right uh, with God. And I love Romans 10.13 for it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember a preacher many years ago saying this to me. He said, Mark, take out for whosoever and put your name in there. For Mark shall call upon the name of the Lord and shall be saved. Hey, it's for you. Since uh, Saul's spite, uh, you know, I read recently uh, the third point is Saul's spite. It was the sin. He was self-righteous. Saul's spite. Uh, I read a following statement: uh, Religion without redemption always produces resentment. I thought that was a fantastic. That is not original to me. That was a fantastic statement. Religion without redemption always produces resentment. And that is definitely a result of what happened in Saul's life. This was a case of Saul's life. He heard the truth. He heard it. And then he rejected it. He heard the Gospel, but he wanted nothing to do with it. He refused to believe on Jesus. He became enraged. That's that resentment part. He became enraged with those who did believe it. And then in Saul's heart, it made him a ruthless and cruel individual. He hated the Gospel. He hated that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, the Jewish Messiah. He hated that. And he worked hard. I mean, he labored hard. He tried everything he could to destroy the church. I'm just going to give you some references here. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, he participated in the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, he was consenting unto Stephen's death. That means he was agreeable. He was pleased with this idea. Saul, uh, Stephen's death pleased Saul. Saul, in, in verse 3 of that same chapter, verse uh, chapter 8, he made havoc in the church. That means he went out to destroy. He went to devastate. Saul entered the private dwellings and took believers into custody, hauling them out. That means to drag. He resorted to violence to accomplish his purpose. He murdered believers. Right here in this chapter we'll look at, in chapter 9, verse 1, slaughtered. He killed people for it. Acts 26, 9, Saul did everything he could to oppose the name of Jesus. And Acts 26, 11, he forced believers to blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt under pressure, no doubt under torture. In 1 Timothy 1.12, by his own testimony, Saul was a blasphemer, one who slandered God. He was a persecutor, one who troubles and harasses others. These were Christians he harassed. He was injurious. He was one who spoke uh, and acted harshly towards others, towards the believers. Hey, folks, don't miss this. Saul was a man of faith. 
He had his own faith. It wasn't faith in Jesus Christ. It was his own faith. And he was living his faith in his own self-righteousness. He had faith in the law. And he said that that law would keep me and I'm going to work for it. His condition, his hatred for the gospel caused the early church uh, you know, to really be persecuted. And they looked at him as like, he is a lost cause. He is a hopeless cause. He will never be saved. You know what? In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, even after he did get saved, this is how the church viewed him. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he sailed to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. He was so wicked to them before he got saved. They're like, this is a trick. He's so wicked. He's he's playing us. He thinks that we're going to let him in. He's acting like a Christian. He's going to get in us and find out about us. And then he's going to destroy us. I think that's part of the fear that they had. You know, some of you people here this morning are praying for people just like Saul Tarsus. You're praying for people who are outwardly good. They're nice people. You had a flat tire, they'd come help change that tire. Your car was broke down, they'd show up. They might even pay for a tow truck for you. Might be people who do good works and they're trusting them to get them to heaven. They might be a lot of good things, but they're definitely not trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior this morning. They need a Savior. But they're not hopeless cases. The Lord can save them. And He might be using you today. Oh, He might be using somebody else in the church. He might be using a different Christian today to bring them to Jesus Christ. Hey, folks, you remember back in August, I went out to see my Uncle Ed? You know, his last days, cancer had just overrun his body out there in Vancouver. I went out to visit with him. I come to find out after I got out there that there was a man from his work who was a Christian who was witnessing to my Uncle Ed. Hey, guess what? He didn't lead Uncle Ed to the Lord. I had that privilege and that was wonderful. It was amazing. A day before he passed away. But listen, that man at his work, he had a part to play in my Uncle Ed getting saved. And you don't know who's in that other part of your family member's life. Maybe your co-worker's life. You don't know what home life's like. Maybe there's an uncle in that man's life or that lady's life who knows Jesus Christ and they're witnessing too. You can be part of seeing them come to Jesus Christ. There is hope. The power of Saul's God. The Saul Tarsus was in a place where individuals, believers could not reach them. He, their, their, their pleas fell on deaf ears, right? He was persecuting them. They, he heard it, but he was, it was falling on deaf ears. He was blind to the truth, even though it was staring him right in the face. Has that ever happened to you? You went to the kitchen, your wife's like, yeah, it's right on the counter over there. And you're like, I don't see it. I don't tell you how many times that happens to me. But anyways, it's right there. The truth was staring him right in the face. Man said, I can't reach him. Aren't you so glad that our God reads down love? He loves us. How, how God confronted him as Paul was heading out of, the, of Damascus, right? Heading down that road. Um, verse number 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. In, back in Acts chapter 9, verse number 3. He was on the way to Damascus to rich believers. God confronted. I mean, Saul was a bitter, self-righteous man. Okay? And a bright light shined on him. He lies there on the ground. Uh, verse number 3. And, and suddenly there shone about uh, him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth. 
And the Lord confronts Saul about his persecution. And by telling him that he's attacking, by attacking the people, he's attacking me. On Jesus whom thou persecutest, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, Saul wasn't actually persecuting Jesus physically in a sense, trying to find Jesus. He was attacking those who believed in Jesus. So he's saying, you're attacking me. At that instance, Saul's life is turned upside down. The very Christ who he hated, he did probably denied, and he definitely attacked, is speaking to him and confronts about his sin. No one thought Saul could be saved. Hey, but God in his love reached down and touched his heart. He reached down and touched his heart and, and, and helped him to see the light. Hey, listen, keep talking to your friends about Jesus. Keep talking to that individual that's on your heart about Jesus. Keep witnessing to your children. Keep at it. You don't know when it just might take hold. You don't know. Hey, you know, my mom witnessed to her brother Ed for over 20 odd years. I'm sure there was times when she thought, is this even worth it? I'm so glad she kept it up. Hey, Uncle Ed's in heaven today. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's happy she never stopped too. Don't stop. Don't stop. You never know, for lack of a better word, when the light might come on. They, they understand that that truth that's standing right in front of their face, they recognize it through the help of God. There's no doubt how God convicted him here when the Lord speaks to Saul. He says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, the word prick here refers to an ox goad. So, it was a long stick with an iron point in it. And uh, it was used by the man who was driving the oxen to spur them along uh, when they refused to move or to obey a command. You know, that would get you moving, right? Like a headstrong ox, Saul of Tarsus had been a stubborn man. He turned a deaf ear to the gospel, to the cries of mercy that the Christians had used on him. He closed his eyes and his heart to the truth. He was willingly ignoring facts. Saul Tarsus seemed to be a hard-hearted, indifferent to the Lord and to Jesus Christ. But God was doing a work in his heart. He was working there. And he was, he was bringing them to a place that we, he would humble him uh, before the Lord and he would accept Christ as Savior. Hey, that's what the Lord did to me. He worked in my heart to a place where I humbled myself and accepted Jesus Christ as Savior too. And I know many of your testimonies here this morning, that's exactly what happened. We see how God converted him one moment. Uh, uh, Saul Tarsus riding high and mighty, high in self-righteous, high in spite, high in his good works, high in what he thought was right. Next, he's low. Next, he's low. God brought him to a place of humble repentance. Saul calls him Lord. He recognizes who he is talking to and he accepts him as such. The Lord's work of conviction in his heart was accomplished in that moment. Salvation was applied. We're going to look at how we know for sure this is the moment of his salvation. We'll look at it in a second. Saul was ready and he believes and he's saved. Some of you are praying for lost people, loved ones, and you don't see a whole lot happening in their lives. They seem no closer to the Lord than the day that you first witnessed to them. Keep praying for them. Others might seem like they're worse off than when you started witness to them. You're almost like, how is this happening? I'm telling them the truth and they're going further away. It can be very discouraging to continue to pray for them. 
when you don't see them come to the Lord. In truth, you don't know what God is doing in their hearts, folks. You can't see the heart. You can't know what the feelings are going. I mean, they can communicate some, but the reality is you don't know what's taking place in their heart. You don't know how the events of life are affecting them. You don't know. You have no idea. You can't see what the Lord is doing. So you don't know. There just might be a little bit, a little bit closer to that repentance and getting right with God, accepting Him by faith. Don't give up. Keep strong your testimony. Redouble your efforts. Keep praying for them. Don't stop lifting up their names until they get right with the Lord. And let us not be weary in well-doing, but for a due season we shall reap if we faint not. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Lord is using the events of life, the secret work of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, your witness, the witness of other believers, and a thousand other things are happening in someone's life. You don't know where they're at. Don't stop. Hey, I'll be honest with you. There's times I've stopped. I'm going to be totally honest. I, I think of a cousin right now who mocked me to shame when I phoned him up and I told him, hey, I got saved. You need to too. Yeah, that's whatever, Mark. Do what you want. I don't need that. That's for the weak. That's for the naive. That's for the simple. Okay, this will change you. I don't need it. I remember later on, a number of years later, going back to him again and meeting up for lunch. He's my cousin. I love him. He's a family. And I told him again, I, like, oh, I don't need that, Mark. I don't need that. Mock me about some life choices that I have made because of a Christian. I won't do some things. Mock me about that. You know, today he's in jail because he did some really bad things. Guess what? He needs Jesus, doesn't he? But there's times when I gave up on him. Uh, it's not going to matter. It's not going to change anything. It, I should redouble my efforts. So with you, when you look out and you see that person, redouble your efforts. You'll never know. You don't know when God will break that heart, when that conviction will become so great that I say, I need Jesus! You don't know. Hey, listen, my God who saved me through Jesus Christ is just as powerful back in 1996 as He is today. He hasn't changed. He, the, the power of changed life is in His hand because He transforms us. It's not a reformation. It's a transformation. When you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, you are transformed. And that's where we see now the proof of, his, of Him getting saved. Saul's conversion. You know, so we don't see a big prayer here that Saul gave to accept Christ as Savior. And listen, folks, it's not a prayer that saves you. It's a heart of belief that saves you. Alright? Uh, so it's, we don't see any of his words here, but boy, do we see proof. Do we see proof? It's proven by his works. So first of all, the, the Lord tells them in verse 6, Get to Damascus, arise, go to that city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He obeys. His first command from the Lord, he obeys. He gets there, he waits there for three days. In verse number 9, we're told that. Uh, and the Lord sends Ananias to come and teach him. Verses 10 to 19, we're not going to read that, but it's there. He obeyed. He obeyed God without waver. Hey, you know what? That's an evidence that we love the Lord. Because John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you keep my commandments. 
That's not to say that we're not sinlessly perfect. Oh, no. No, we're not. But if we love the Lord, we're going to try to obey what He tells us to do. So it's proven by His works there. That's just that little part. Uh, and proven by His Word. As soon as Saul gets saved, he begins to serve the Lord by preaching the Gospel. In verse 20 of chapter 9, so we're not we're not talking about years here. We're not talking about even months. I think it would have been a few weeks, maybe at most, and straightway. The idea is quickly he preached Christ in the synagogues. He showed up and he started preaching the gospel. He he used every platform that was given to him to tell the world about Jesus. He told governors, he told kings, he told soldiers, he told the common person, he told merchants, he told captains of the sailing vessels. He told everyone he could about Jesus Christ. He told them about how Jesus died and rose again. He told them about the love and grace of God. He told it verbally, right? We read of his verbal interactions and then we read it. He wrote it. You know, the gospel that he hated so much and he tried so hard to destroy is all that he talked about after this encounter. That is transformation, folks. That is an evidence of salvation. The very Lord he tried to destroy, he couldn't stop talking about. It's proven by his walk. When Saul got saved, he did not stop living for Jesus. He put aside the sins of self-righteousness, of hatred, of murder, of, of, of spite, and he embraced the new life of love in Jesus Christ. His life was changed and he was never the same. And he proved it beyond time and time and time again. Listen, we have used uh, the Word of God that used by Paul in the sense that Paul, God gave Paul the words to write. He wrote them out. And we have used those words to lead other people to Jesus Christ this year. Isn't that amazing? That's truly astounding. It's amazing how God uses us and His life proves over and over again, I'm a believer of Jesus. When God saves a sinner, He produces very... Very similar kinds of changes in their lives. Reality is we're born again, right? A new birth. Very, very saying to thee, except the man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He makes them a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Hey, I get saved. I don't live like I used to. Now I want to live different because I want to serve Jesus because I love Jesus. Do you have someone on your heart this morning? When you came into church this morning, you thought, it's a hopeless case. Oh, I love them. I care for them. Someone in your life that you love, you want to see them get saved and live for Jesus, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a relative, a friend, a co-worker. Maybe it's a neighbor. I don't know. Do you ever feel like giving up on them? Do you ever wonder if there's any point to praying for them anymore? It just seems like it's hitting wood, falling down. Let me encourage you to keep praying for them. Keep lifting their names before the Lord. Keep telling them about Jesus. Keep living for Jesus in front of them. 
Who knows what God is doing in their heart today? I cannot tell you how many testimonies I've heard of people and they said, this person witnessed to me for years. And you know, I was under great convictions. Uh, you know, the, the, the Lord was putting the screws to me. He was putting the pressure on me. And I was pushing back. I didn't want nothing to do with it. And I was pushing back. And then something happened. The conviction was too great. And I knew I needed Jesus. Hey, don't stop loving Him. Don't stop praying for Him. Keep showing Him Jesus. Hey, as long as there's life, there is no such thing as a hopeless case. We can't do anything once the last breath is taken. We, that is beyond our... Cap- we can't do anything. But as long as they're here and there's life, there is hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Let's pray.